Looking forward to being in God's Word with you uh, this morning. If you want to start turning, we're working, as you know, if you've been here through the book of Acts, and we're in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 20 here. If you wouldn't mind turning there, you can use the Bible in front of you or your lovely phone. Um, just as, as you're doing that, though, I just wanted to, since in a, a kind of a spirit of confession, wanted to ask you a, a question. How many here would say you enjoy Facebook? All right, this, we're, we're just coming clean, coming clean. So, okay, a few of you willing to, to admit it. I would say Facebook gets a bad rap. I actually like Facebook. Like, I, I enjoy getting updates. I enjoy seeing what's going on. It's like, it's like, permit, it's like the green light for appropriate voyeurism. You know what I mean? Like, you're, you get to see what's happening with, with all your friends. You hear updates. You get uh, just really good uh, articles, uh, passionate political commentary. Anybody uh, notice that? You get updates from Chad Daly, uh, which... Uh, uh, hourly, uh, you you get you get advertisements for new gadgets that you didn't know you needed. You get you get videos of the some of the superhuman feats that people have accomplished. I have fun watching some of these things that people are able to do. And so here I am coming clean with you. I enjoy Facebook. One of the things features though, the reason I bring this up that uh, that cracks me up on Facebook is it has relational status updates. Have you ever seen that flash up where it says? Bob is now in relationship with Mary, or you fill fill in the name. Some of the younger people actually appreciate that. I'll admit, if I were younger, and when I was first starting to date Adrian, like that would have been plastered all over Facebook. I, I convinced this cute little Canadian to actually start dating me. It would have been everywhere I possibly could have put it. In fact, uh, this Wednesday, Valentine's Day, we're celebrating our, 20, our 19th uh, anniversary, and, uh, and we started dating on Valentine's Day one year earlier on Valentine's Day, and so that's our 20-year dating anniversary, so a fun week. I'm not somebody that's embarrassed to talk about it. I actually celebrate that fact, and the reason I bring all of that up is because I think when you're excited about a relationship that you're in, you don't have a problem talking to people about it. It's just a natural overflow. It comes out of who you are. Maybe this example might jog your memory of uh, this happening a few years back. Check this out. Really? Something happened to you. Something happened to you. I'm in love. They're literally on the edge of their seats. They're like, they're like this. <laughs> no, I know what he's doing. He's processing. He's, trying, going, okay. he's <laughs> trying to just figure out what he is going to tell, what he isn't going to tell. I've never seen you like that. I've never seen that. I know. We've never seen you behave this way before. I know. Have you ever felt this way before? The reason I bring that up is because when it's natural, when it's actually a real, vibrant, authentic relationship, it's not forced or coerced. Similarly, and I think you can probably make the parallel here, similarly in our relationship with Jesus Christ, when we have a vibrant, authentic relationship with him, it's not somebody, a, a bald pastor that has to push you and nudge you and convince you to talk about it. It's, it's literally something 
that comes out of that relationship. It just happens because that's who you are and you're excited to see what he's done and doing in your life. I would suggest Saul is a wonderful example of this. And you realize that, that over time, there's lots of different obstacles to kind of keeping that, that fervor and passion and kind of a, a witness alive. And, and so we've titled this morning's message, Unwavering Witness, because I think there's a lot we can glean from the story of Saul about how to keep that fresh and happening in our life, and not in a forced way, but a natural overflow of what's going on in your life and relationship. I think it's a, a litmus test. I've noticed even in my own life, where I'm at in my relationship with Christ is, has a, a direct link and connection to my passion for sharing Him with others. So it's a, it's a great litmus test to say, you know, man, I, I feel like during seasons of, of drought and seasons of desert uh, time with God, it seems like that passion for sharing diminishes. We're going to look at this morning's text and hopefully see a little bit less of the, the downward slope and a little bit more of the upward slope and how to overcome some of those obstacles and having a vibrant, passionate witness for Jesus Christ. Let me pray as we dive in. God, we come to you this morning just grateful, even for this time of uh, worship and even thinking about uh, David and Courtney, what an awesome thing to celebrate this morning, just your faithfulness in their life, God. And we want that to be something that stems or, or, or leads to a vibrant proclamation of your goodness. We ask now that you teach us through this, this text, that you stretch us, you grow us even in our understanding of you through your word. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to start in verse 20 of chapter 9 this morning, and just a quick little summary of last week, just to help you uh, remember where we're at. This is fresh after Paul, or I'm sorry, Saul first encountered Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, a pretty dramatic experience where God literally spoke to him, and he humbled him, literally caused him to be blind for three days. He comes out of that saying, man, I am in. I'm fully in. He's baptized, uh, gets some, some sustenance, and then goes into Damascus being led uh, by his friends and literally starts, as we're going to see, as at first opportunity proclaiming Christ in the city. Take a look at verse 20, actually the second half of 19. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. I want to stop there for a moment, and really the statement that jumped out in that description, probably the most to me, is really this idea, it says, immediately he proclaimed Christ. This is, as I mentioned, right after the point of conversion where he's coming into the city, and it says that immediately he proclaimed Christ, and I, I jotted this under the title, is that newness didn't stop him. His newness in following Christ. A lot of times people have this mentality that, oh man, I don't, I don't know enough. I haven't learned enough. What if somebody asks this question? What do I do there? And, and, and newness also, if you think about it, 
he also didn't allow his past regrets to get in the way. He had majorly blown it. He, he had walked, I mean, like we talked about it last week, literally killing Christians. He didn't allow that to, from proclaiming Jesus Christ because he understood something each one of us should understand is that we're trophies of God's grace. You're a, a trophy of God's grace. You're a living example of, whoa, I can't believe God saved them. Saul was the ultimate example. Some of you would be like, man, I'm a, I'm a trophy of God's grace. And so because of that, he was anxious to tell people about it. And he starts immediately, right out of the gates, like later on in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he says this, he says, woe to me, this is later Paul, uh, after his name has changed, he says, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not pro proclaim and preach the gospel to those around me. He was clear in the message that he's getting out. And what does it say that he goes to preach them in Damascus? He goes in pronouncing that he is, referring to Jesus, the Son of God. Every single one of his listeners would have known that what this is was a proclamation of Jesus being the Messiah, the one that they had long awaited for. He's clarifying who this Jesus was. If you're a naysayer in the city, this was like the ultimate betrayal. The guy that you're waiting, you're checking your clock every day. You're just like, oh, in a couple days, Saul's getting here. He's going he's gonna to take out all of these crazy Christ followers. Can you imagine the shock as he shows up? And not only is he not arresting them, what's he doing? He's saying, they're right. They're right. He is the Messiah. So their greatest opponent is now their greatest advocate for Jesus Christ. Pretty awesome testimony. Talk about when you're trying to find kind of validity for following Christ in that day, you're like, Wait a second, if Saul believes it, well, the, the greatest opposition, why in the world wouldn't I? And look at their response. It says that they were amazed and confounded. And both of those, those words are actually in the imperfect tense, meaning that it was like a repeated, it was ongoing. Every single time they saw Saul, they're just like, man, blown away again. I can't believe this. Wait a second, what? They, they even knew what his plan was. They're all aware of it. They're like, he was coming to arrest the Christians, and instead, he's proclaiming Christ in the synagogue. Confounded is the word that they use. It means to cause surprise or confusion in someone. I love that. They were shocked. They were blown away. And we also see this statement, which I think is awesome. It says that he was proving that Jesus was the Messiah. I love that they use the word proving because sometimes we get the bad rap of like, oh, you're, you're buying into something that has no proof or no validity or it's a, it's a mindless religion. Are you kidding me? He's saying no. He's like, he was laying out the evidence so that people could come to a conclusion themselves. And isn't that how every big decision in our life works? You lay out evidence and then you come to a conclusion and act on it. It's the same thing with Christianity. You when you, you, when you came here this morning, most of you, I saw a couple of people ride in on a bike, uh, but most of you literally showed up in a car this morning. Do you understand that that was based on what? Evidence 
that the car will, that will work. You, you, you said, you've seen it before. You've been like, I know when I get in this car, I've seen it happen before. You turn the key, it starts up. Some of our cars do better than others with that. And, uh, and, and literally, it moves me down the road. Do you see how that in and of itself is an act of, you're putting your trust in that. What's it based on? Evidence. You've seen a track record of faithfulness maybe in your car's life of doing that. The same is true for this. He's saying, I'm laying out all of the evidence to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. I would have loved to have listened in on that conversation. Like uh, uh, we know about Saul, he knew his stuff. He knew his Old Testament. And so I'm sure he brought him from prophecy to prophecy, from Psalms to Isaiah to Micah, jumping around pointing to all of the evidences that Jesus had perfectly fulfilled in coming and being the Messiah that they were waiting for. So it says that he proved it, and it also says that he increased all the more in strength. As he's doing that, here's an important thing for us to understand. As we proclaim Christ, we get better and better at it. You get stronger at it. You get more proficient in it. You get better able to articulate what you believe is true. It comes with time, and we're not bound by us being new Christians. There's no excuse even for the new. So newness didn't stop him. Look at verse 23. Time didn't stop him either. Just a brief verse here. Verse 23 says, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. When many days had passed. Now, sometimes when you're reading the account by uh, Luke, things are very specific and matter of fact, and you almost fill in the blanks other places in Scripture. We learn that those many days, those many days that had passed in Galatians 1, 17 and 18, that this was a three-year period of time. This time that he was in Damascus wasn't just a short, like, hey, he was there a couple days. Literally three years had transpired and he keeps on proclaiming Christ. So much so that what does it say happens? They're like, we're done with this guy. We're, we are going to kill him. Like, I, I, it's fascinating to me, the, the rejection that you see there. But time didn't stop. If you think about that, for us, one of the greatest obstacles in following Christ and staying passionate about proclaiming him to people, unfortunately, is time. More time that, that passes, like you're, you're just like you start to grow numb. I don't know if it's the, the opposition that we face. I don't know if it's because of, uh, of maybe an extended period of time in your life of silence where you've gotten accustomed to not talking about it. But either way, time often is our greatest enemy when it should be exactly the opposite. It should be, our, our senior saints should be the most vocal passionate followers of Jesus Christ out of anyone in the room. Time should actually foster a deepened relationship with Christ and more of a passion to proclaim him with others. On Thursday nights, we have uh, this last couple of weeks, we had a, a gentleman that was visiting, actually a, a, a parent of one of the, the folks that attends regularly at the church. He's kind of uh, in his retirement years. It's so fun because as a pastor, you get excited because every once in a great while, you get in the room, you get an amener. He was the amener in the room. He was the one that like anything that even was remotely sounding good from up front, you're like, amen. 
I was like, yes. So like, we need more ameners. I, I fully support that. There we go. We'll take it. And, uh, and so he was the amener in the group, but it wasn't, it wasn't just something that he was kind of stirring up out of nothing. As you spent time with Dave talking a little bit, he had a fervor and passion for Jesus Christ that was dynamic. It carried into every aspect of his life. He was telling a story to uh, another gentleman that goes to the church here. He l- later told me about it, who's a police officer. And uh, the, Dave was a, a police officer for his career. And he was saying, yeah, earlier on, He's like, they told me if I ever wanted to become sergeant, uh, what I'd have to do is I'd have to be more quiet about my faith. Isn't that interesting? He, he, was, he was told that. He goes, you know, being a patrol officer wasn't that bad. And, and so in other words, he's like, man, I'm not, I'm not compromising because, because of the, the silence that was necessary to move up the ranks in his, his field. And because of that, man, he was just a dynamic guy. And I was thinking about that. I'm like, man, I want that to be the descriptor of me over the years. That you get a little bit more cuckoo for talking about Christ. You're just like, I don't even care what people think. I'm not concerned about how I might, might look. or I'm passionately willing to talk about Christ. Time didn't stop him. And that's the, the case for David as well. I appreciated that. Another thing as we move on, opposition didn't stop him either. Verse 24, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Pretty interesting uh, summary there. One of the trends that you might have started to notice as we're working through the book of Acts is this. When the disciples, the disciples, and then when, when, when Stephen, and then now when Saul, when you make people look foolish intellectually, the response seems to come back to the same. Violence is the solution that people come to. It's pretty sad if you think about it, and it's pretty sad even today how much hatred talking about Jesus Christ provokes in the world around us. But here we see it's going to the ultimate extreme that they're literally plotting or coming up, devising a plan to kill him because of his proclamation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that unbelievable? The, the darkness, the, the road that that takes us down. And so they're plotting, says that they have guards at each gate making sure that he can't escape from the city. Can you imagine if in the city of Agora Hills this morning, if before you're trying to move on to the 101, there's armed guards there waiting, and they're like, man, I'm taking them out. He's, Brian's not going to make it out of here alive. And, and so imagine that is the extreme, and it's interesting to me that that didn't stop his message. He kept on going with it. He's like, I, I, that, you, can, you can try to kill me, but what I do find was necessary during this season is that's when it was needed to have brothers and sisters in Christ come alongside and support him. You see it right there in the text. What does it say? It says that his disciples came alongside of him. We don't know if these are the same exact guys that had maybe helped walk him into the city after he had lost his sight. You remember that account last week? We don't know who these guys are, but obviously fellow followers of Jesus Christ. And they're coming alongside because why? We need that in the middle of opposition. 
I would love for this church to be home-based after you're out there during the week and you're engaging with people. I'm not trying to say you're out there trying to take people out. I'm saying you're boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ when you're out there for this to be the home base that you know you come back to because you have a supportive community that's all headed in the same direction. You notice that you can keep your confidence up when you have other people that are doing the exact same thing as you, that are headed in the same direction with the same passion for Jesus Christ. Some years back, when I was a young adults pastor back in uh, Chicago, we took teams to this uh, outdoor mall. It was called the Streets of Woodfield. And uh, we'd go and uh, we'd, we'd go out and our goal was just, hey, we just want to engage with people, have some conversa- conversations about Christ and see what what would happen with that. It was fascinating, all the adventures that that took us on. We did it on Saturday evenings. About once a month, we went out. And uh, I remember one of the routines that we'd have is before going out, because it's kind of an intimidating thing to do, before we'd go out and talk with people, we'd come together, we'd all pray together. And, uh, and I say this all like it was thousands. It was like maybe 20 of us. But uh, we, we'd pray together, and, and then we'd go and interact with people just and see what God would do in the conversations. And so it's funny, after we finished praying this one time, uh, we had noticed that in the, the parking lot, they had like 50, six, the number gets higher every time I tell the story, uh, 50, 60, something like that, all guys riding on motorcycles. And, uh, and these guys uh, didn't look like the fr- most friendly bunch of guys. We'll just say like they looked like they just got back from like a mass murder or something. And so, and, and so, and, and so we're there, and one of the guys, after we finished praying for boldness, said to me, hey, Scott. We should go talk to those guys. I was, like, I was like, listen, when we're praying for boldness, that's not what I'm talking about. No, I'm just kidding. I, I was like, all right, let, let's do it. And so it was interesting. There was, like, there was like four of us that were willing to do it. And so we went, went over there, and there's a big group of them kind of hanging out talking. And, and I went up to them, and uh, guess who got voted to be the one to talk? And, uh, and so, so I went, went up to the guys, and I said, hey, guys, this is going to sound really weird. I said, there's a group of us. We're from a church in the area. We're just talking with people out here at the streets of Woodfield, just trying to get an idea of what keeps this next generation from being interested in the church. What keeps this generation from being interested in the church? And they, 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 said, they said to us, oh, that's interesting you bring that, that up. We were just talking about that this afternoon. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, it was so cool. We ended up for like the next 45 minutes just chatting with them, talking about faith. They didn't all stay. They kind of dispersed. But it was cool to see how how God used that opportunity. And there's no way that opportunity would have happened without the support of other believers heading in the same direction. Do you think if I showed up at the streets of Woodfield that day and drove past that group of guys all on motorcycles, I would have been like, hey, I'm going to go by myself and talk to them. I'm like, no way. Not a chance. I needed the, 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 the peer pressure, the Christian peer pressure uh, to push us towards that. And isn't that an awesome thing that the church can be? We can cheer each other on, stir each other towards love and good works. That's the idea. Opposition didn't stop them. He engages with them. And then I love the adventure that it says. What does it say? How did they get him out of the city? They lowered him out 
in a basket. Now, some of these things you just kind of peruse past. Like, imagine, I, I, I just picture Paul as probably not a, a small man, as Saul's not a, a small man. I, I'm picturing him with, in, a, in a big wicker basket with like appendages hanging out, like getting lowered out of the, the, the city in this basket. You're like, if you're ever wondering how to have an adventure in life, take a risk for Christ. Engage with the world around you. Who knows? You might have people trying to kill you and get lowered in a wicker basket. You know, you're like, who knows what God will have you on? But it's awesome to see God's faithfulness and protection of Saul as he's proclaiming Christ in that community. So he decides, verse 26, to head back to home base, back to Jerusalem, as he's going to, I'm sure, get some good support there. Look at verse 26 with Saul encounters back in Jerusalem. And when he had come. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord." Pretty awesome account even there, but you notice the very first thing when he arrives on Jerusalem, does it, was there big welcome banners there? Was there like, hey, great job, Saul, you've been faithful, nice job? No, disciples wanted nothing to do with him. They, why, why would that be? Because they were afraid. Like in, in, in all fairness, like he was the one they were accustomed to hiding from. Like in all of a sudden he's showing up and wanting to be part of the crew. You know what I mean? Like you're like, wait a second, you're the, I'm not falling for that. And so rightfully so, but I can't imagine from Saul's perspective, that's probably a bummer, don't you think? You know how long that transpired, how long that 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 fear existed. But thankfully, and I love that, that we see Barnabas comes alongside of him. His name, actually, we learn in Acts 4.36, his son of encouragement, comes alongside of him as the encourager and is like, you know what, I'm going to be your advocate. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to vouch for you. And you imagine this was a pretty big risk. I'm going to stand up for you. And then they enfold him into the church community, which is an awesome thing. And notice what it says after that happened. What, is, what does Saul start doing? goes right back to it. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. You see, what I noticed there is that even when the church disappointed him, he didn't allow that to stop him either. Sometimes we think that our, our main opposition is outside the walls of the church, but sometimes, and even thinking through this church, sometimes some of our biggest burns and biggest hurts are within the body of Christ itself. And I would suggest in a personal application, too often we allow past experiences with churches disappointing us to cause us to kind of freeze on our proclamation of Christ, or to get on the sidelines and you're like, oh man, you don't know how I've been hurt and how I've been wounded. What I love about this church is even coming here, seeing how many people faithfully, this church has had some season of some difficult years. They had some, some rough years in the past. I love the testimonies within our church of people like, yeah, those were some hard times, but I've stayed through it. I've been faithful. I'm continuing to bring my gifts to the table. I'm continuing to praise Him here regularly. I'm continuing to have ministry and impact in the world around us. It's important that we don't let church past 
influence ongoing ministry, even within our own lives, just as we try to apply this back to our life, I think that's an important one. And it says that he went, uh, he went right back to it, right, went right back to proclaiming Jesus Christ, verse 29. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Stop, start just by pointing out this trend. Seems like everywhere Saul is going, he's discovering the sacrifices that he has to make for the name of Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus gave the account to Ananias? He says, I'm going to teach Saul what it means, what it looks like to suffer for the name of Christ. He's getting that opportunity right away. Everywhere he goes, it's interesting. He needs to maybe work on his gospel presentation. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, everywhere he goes, when he presents, what's the result? They want to kill him. Like, can you imagine? Like, it literally, it says now they're devising. He just came from another city where they're wanting to kill him. Now he's showing up and he's proclaiming Christ there. They're the same response. They're like, hey, we want to kill you too. But I, I love that it says, I love that it says, that he disputed with the Hellenists. In other words, he was willing to hold his ground, and this is important for us, even as we're engaging with the world around us. Too often, we crumble when there's any kind of resistance to the gospel. Anytime there's kind of opposition or a tough question, we're just like, oh, okay, I'm going to go meekly into the corner. No, he's like, you know what? I've got the risk of death. I've got the risk of looking silly, but it says he stayed firm. He kept disputing, even with the, the Greek-speaking Jews of that time, the Hellenists. He said, you know what? I'm willing to engage. I'm willing to proclaim Christ for us. Man, wouldn't that be an awesome, awesome testimony for us to say like, hey, regardless, even when there's people that, that said you were silly for following, you're like, I'm willing to engage with anyone, anytime. I'm not living in fear. I'm not wondering if I'm going to have all the right answers. And it's okay. This is one of the things I've discovered. It's okay to not have all the answers. Isn't that nice? That's, that's encouraging. You don't have to be Bible answer person. You don't have to know every single thing. Here's a, a simple thing that you can say when someone says something that you're not quite sure the answer of. Hey, say, that's a wonderful question. I don't know the answer of that off the top of my head, but can I get back? Like, can I do a little research and get back to you on that? Look, look, look how simple that is. You don't have to know everything to engage with people about Jesus Christ. That one, it kind of takes the, the hedge off of our shoulder like we have to know every single thing, which is refreshing. Two, it allows the conversation to continue to a future date. Uh, three, it pushes you to dig in and get to know God's word a little bit better. Because it's funny, the one time that you don't know the answer, do you think that after you've researched it, you get back to them and continue in conversation? <laughs> Do you think you're going to know the answer the next time to that question? Absolutely, because it's taken root in your life. One of the highlights of uh, uh, the, some of the ministry that we did in Chicago was at this, uh, at this church is we took teams of uh, senior students uh, down to, to Florida and, and said, you know, on the, this trip, we're, this, is a, this is a build you up for kind of ongoing engaging with people about Jesus Christ. And in this, 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 and it was a great spot to go. I was like, you know what? If we're going to suffer somewhere, Florida is not too bad. Um, 
And so we took teams down there of seniors, and we spent the whole week. It was so fun. You guys would have loved this. We spent the whole week each day, these group, and they broke into groups. These groups of students had one tough spiritual question, like, a, like engaging with the world around them, that they had to tackle. And in the evening, they had to give a presentation of how they would respond to that tough question. It was so fun to watch the progression during the week as they see all of these seemingly impossible questions to answer get kind of checked off one by one by one. You're like, oh, wait a second. There, there's, here's the thing that you're going to find is that the person you're engaging with most likely is not coming up with a spiritual question that has not been addressed somewhere in the past. Somewhere that you can't research and discover and say like, oh, here's, a, here's a good, some good thoughts to think about that. Now, I'm not saying I want everybody in all these spiritual arguments with people. That's not what I'm saying at all. I just want to see us equipped and willing to engage regardless of even if they do have a tough question for you. So all of these different obstacles, he's going and continuing with his fervor and willingness to proclaim Christ. I would love that for us, not out of a guilt or not out of a, oh, you should definitely do this because you're, you're, you know what I mean? Because the, uh, if you're not, you're not a good Christian, but literally coming out of an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, I would say that's where it started with Saul. That's where it continued with Saul. And as we're going to watch Saul's story throughout the years in this, in this uh, account in the book of Acts, we're going to see that that fervor never really wavers. It just keeps going. And wouldn't that be awesome to have said of us? Man, they just kept going. They, 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 they didn't limp through the finish line. They sprinted through the finish line. That's my prayer for myself. That's my prayer for us as a church. Let me close and pray. God, I thank you for this account and even just picking up a few observations of Saul's passion for you and maybe even some takeaways for us how to apply that to our own life. I know that if I don't invest in that relationship personally, when I don't put the work in to keep that relationship vibrant, one of the first things that goes is my fervor for reaching out to folks. God, I pray that we would, even this morning, that as we're going into this last song, it might even be a time of recommitment. It might even be a time of confession. It might even be a, a time of of request for new fervor, new passion, God, that you would instill in each one of us as we've been called to go out and make disciples in the world around us. We thank you for that invitation. Pray that it would come naturally and not forced out of an authentic relationship with you. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thinking about that, those words, yes, we're grateful for his grace and love. Just tell people about that. Tell them that you're grateful for his grace and for his love. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you.